Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. And you know, Tyler, the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, one of our favorite organizations. Yep. The National Conference is in Los And is in uh, Long Beach, California this year, middle That's of right. September, September 15th to the 17th. I'm looking forward to being there. And I think you're going to be in you're going to be in Hawaii, aren't you? Yeah, well, I, I, I'll actually be transiting back uh, <laughs> from Hawaii back to Texas during ASBPA. I won't be making the conference this year, but yeah. I'll be passing through uh, Los L- LAX. We need to maybe rendezvous in LAX. Tyler and I usually dedicate an entire week of programming to ASBPA. We're not doing that this year, unfortunately. Um, but really looking forward to being down in Southern California. And uh, this show, Tyler, is dedicated to that region of the American Shoreline. And we have the foremost expert on the American Shoreline podcast today to talk to us about Southern California coastal issues. And I'm really looking forward to this show. Well, me too. And uh, before we introduce him, uh, let's talk about this region a little bit. Because yeah. uh, we're talking about the Santa Monica Bay region, but also ASB. Uh, ASBPA is down in Long Beach, so this is this around. is that Pretty close by. This is that part of Los Angeles that includes the beaches near LAX and Santa Monica and Malibu. I mean, these are Peter. These are some of my favorite yeah. coastal areas yeah, in the world. Guy. Yeah. So Manhattan pretty... Beach, Santa Monica Pier, Venice Beach, Hermosa Beach, Redondo Beach, Marina del Rey. You know, it's like the coolest part of the American shoreline, isn't it? I'm just have these flashes of images of from my like childhood <laughs> flashing before my eyes. But uh, I'm really excited to explore the space and what's being done to protect it and safeguard it and steward it going forward. And we've got probably the best guest in the world to do it. We do have the best guest. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us on the American shoreline podcast today is Tom Ford. He is the CEO of the Bay Foundation in Los Angeles, California. He is also the director of the the Santa Monica Bay National Estuary Program and co-executive director of the Coastal Research Institute at Loyola Marymount University. Uh, This guy holds three major titles, has been involved in Santa Monica Bay. He's a Rhode Islander, uh, which I think is cool. And uh, but a Southern Cal guy now and an expert in this region of the American Troy. And so uh, I'm digging. Just like the Dodgers. We brought the Dodgers over for Brooklyn. We brought Tom Ford over from Rhode Island. (laughs) Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be a great show. But before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Well, Tom Ford, welcome to the American Shoreline podcast, and thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule, three exec, three director titles that you're doing. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen, and um, what a warm welcome uh, to the West Coast. Uh, never, never fails to be just the exact spot where I want to be um, day in, day out. Uh, so I'm very excited to be talking with you. This well, you know, we were talking, Tyler and I were talking before the show about Santa Monica Bay and it, it's not a, you know, we, people know the name Santa Monica. It's famous in this region of the American shoreline is famous. Uh, but Santa Monica Bay as a, as a coastal feature, as a geologic and ocean feature is not well understood. And, uh, but I think, Everybody who's ever flown in and out of LAX has flown over uh, Santa Monica Bay, either coming in or going out. And uh, so people know they, they've seen it. But introduce, if you would. They've been uh, in the dune system. Yeah. And all these great beaches. I mean. Well, t- I'm saying LAX is built in the dune system. Is it? Of, yeah, I it's think it hangs is. on the yeah. edge of the shoreline. Tom, introduce our audience around the country to Santa Monica Bay. Sure. Happily. Um, so, yeah. You know, the beaches of Los Angeles County are absolutely iconic, worldwide recognized, you know, destination um, for, you know, somewhere around 60 to 70 million individual visits every year. Um, Growing up in Pennsylvania and New England, um, you know, just was in awe of of this landscape, Uh, you know, couldn't couldn't wait to get out west um and i think the some of the really really groovy parts about it is yes we've got uh the transverse mountain range that is the santa monica mountains that runs from griffith park in the east all the way out um towards you know the pch where the mountains literally are just you know tumbling into the sea um along the la county ventura county line uh, those mountains get up to three thousand feet tall um We've got three submarine canyons um, off of the coast. Um, two of them come within, you know, a quarter mile of the shoreline, um, and the depths at which they finally drop to, still within the confines of the bay, um, are close to two thousand feet in depth. Um, wow. If I worked my way from the northwest down around, I'd be driving through Malibu into Topanga, into the Palisades, Santa Monica, Venice. Um, and then I make my way into the Central Bay with Marina del Rey, Playa del Rey, El Segundo. I think you're familiar with the landscape. Um, and then the bay closes off at the bottom with the rocky headland uh, that is the Palos Verdes Peninsula. Um, much of this activity from a geological standpoint um, that f- that shaped this area as we know it today, um, you know, corresponded with you know, major geologic activity associated with the San Andreas Fault System, you know, going about, you know, 20 million years ago, uh, 15 million years ago, things were starting to settle into something that, you know, might be recognizable. Wow. And when you look at it on a map, it's so developed now. And Peter, in our show prep, we were looking at it um, on, you know, it's interesting to look at it on satellite view because you realize that what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, 
you know, if you're not from LA, you might, it's, it's a little confusing the way LA does city names because it's like all LA yeah, that we're is. talking about. They're like, there's a neighborhood, you cross a street and you're in another city. They, they are sub, they are, I believe, legally cities. They are. But, uh, you know, these are uh, uh, so many jurisdictions and so developed. Uh, Tom, can you talk about how the governments of the region acknowledge the unity that is the Santa Monica Bay? Oh, that's a that's a terrific that's a terrific question. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been interesting um, over the years. Uh, I think from a standpoint of when you know we were faced with some very challenging water quality issues um, along the coast. And in our and in our surface waters, you know, the LA River, Bayona Creek, um, other other creeks um, throughout the region, um, there's a, there was a lot more water moving across the surface of this landscape, um, sort of pre uh, expansion uh, post World War II uh, that a lot of folks acknowledge or, or understand, um, and it was really hard um, to sort out, you know, that this interlinked, uh, sometimes strangely configured uh, jurisdictions of these many. Uh, local municipalities um, and trying to find out like, hey, guys, we all acknowledge that we have to clean this up. Um, we've got collective work to do, but trying to find, you know, the representative responsibilities and get at that from not just a technical standpoint, but to inform the political um, aspects of that and then move that into a successful uh, resource management regime, um, you know, took took decades um, and I think what we finally have seen, um, and it was the voters of L.A. County that put it over the top, uh, was the Safe Clean Water Program, um, which was a, you know, a tax that folks said, please tax my parcel, tax my property um, to collectively put together you know, hundreds of, of millions of dollars that are available every year. And the idea was to get the water back into the ground recharge the aquifers because we need the drinking water supply and by getting that water into the ground we're getting rid of the vehicle that was driving all of that pollution to our coast or contributing to pollution within our waterways um so we've we've shunted off the non-storm drain um drainage uh we've the urban slobber i think as i've heard people call it mm. um is you know no longer um comprise uh, compromising our rivers in our coast um and and it does not have a sunset date. So in a way, I think we have a chance to reimagine LA's infrastructure um, to get us positioned for the coming century and beyond. It's a magic part of America, Southern California. P particularly this coastal area. This, it really is. It's It's been quite a draw. Uh, it has. Tom Ford, you are managing the Bay, I think on the most developed stretch of the American coast, there is, you know, you could argue New York City, you could argue Miami, maybe, but if you look at the density of development on, on Santa Monica Bay, uh, Tom Ford sits in the chair of the director of the National Estuary Program, one of 28 National Estuary Programs in America, and the executive director of the Bay Foundation, the nonprofit that supports the work of the NEP. Tom, I, you know, there's conferences. I know you NEP directors get together here and there, you know, perhaps for a meeting or two up in D.C. or whatnot. When you show up and walk in the room, I mean, I've got to think that the challenges you face as an NEP director in the Santa Monica Bay 
are as difficult and complex as any part of the American shoreline. Can you comment on that? Uh, yeah, I, I think I can. And, and, it, and certainly it doesn't take away um, from no. you know, the challenges that uh, some of my colleagues face, which are equally grand, uh, but, but unique. And I think that that's why this National Estuary Program um, captures so many people's interest. You know, it was like, we're not going to figure this out from a remote location. We need on the ground expertise. We need local buy-in. Uh, we need local priorities um, to integrate into our management action so that we're putting together a recipe that comes from the people that works for the people and protects, you know, these resources that we've, that are absolutely cherished and so uh, vital to our coastal economy. Um, what, you know, if I look at what, what is LA's like biggest deal? Um, I was like, hey, you know where my principal estuary is from a chemical standpoint, where the freshwater and the saltwater mix? It's from the outfalls from our two major sewage treatment plants. Hmm. Um, so my estuary is coming out of a concrete pipe and uh, down several hundred feet um, below the ocean surface. Um, in other places, uh, we've hung on to some of these coastal lagoons. Um, or the Biona uh, watershed and the Biona uh, wetland uh, and the work there to try to undo the harms of the past century to reconnect that landscape with the water um, that is its life source um, has also been a tremendous challenge for the folks that have been involved with this. The great thing is, is I have a tremendously deep bench uh, 35 state, local agencies, federal agency involvement, municipalities up and down the coast, cadre of researchers and technical expert, experts to help inform and manage our work. And uh, as a result, I'm a very lucky guy. Yeah, well, I think you you are a lucky guy, and I'm sure that you do have an incredible team of professionals backing you up. Uh and I can see why people would be motivated to want to get in and work on this particular stretch of, of shoreline. So many stakeholders here. Again, you look at the map and a few things strike, strike me right off the bat. One is we mentioned at the, off the top of the show, Los Angeles International Airport sits in the sand dunes in the middle of the bay. Uh, and then strikingly is a feature, uh, Marina del Rey, which is a massive marina. I mean, it looks more like the port of Long Beach, Peter. I mean, it looks like almost a port, but it's a marina. And these are these are uh, not natural structures. <laughs> these are not natural features of of the area. Uh, how how do you think about this bay system? Uh, as a natural feature, as a uh, an engineered space, um, what would it have been like, you know, pre modification? I guess. I mean, and and are we anywhere near to that now? And are we trying to get there? That's a lot of spaghetti on one fork. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'd love to do that. Tyler's good at a lot of spaghetti on one fork. Sure. Um, so let's uh, let's let's take the maybe what it, what it looked like. Cause I think that often captivates people and we'll stick yeah. to, um, <clears throat> stick to uh, the airport and uh, Marina del Rey. Uh, so the El Segundo dunes system um, was 
Whew, uh, was was massive. Um, you know, resembles some of the dunes that you would see, you know, in national monuments. Um, Forty feet tall. Uh, you can see some of the remnants of those features. Um, but to make room uh, for the Hyperion sewage treatment plant, uh, which was a very early investment in the region, um, to start to develop the airport and adjacent neighborhoods, uh, and the desirability um, in the twenties. Uh, to have the beaches in Santa Monica Bay resemble Miami Beach, because that was where it was happening. Um, We moved uh, an approximate 30 30 million cubic yards of sand um, off of that dune complex, flattening it, conforming it, um, sluicing a great deal of that material down to widening Santa Monica and Venice Beach. Wow. Uh, so one of the take homes is that, yes, we used to have this amazing dune system, um, but that Venice and Santa Monica Beach used to be much narrower um, in their profile. They would look more like the beaches that we associate. Hang uh, on a second, Tom. Let me see if I'm following along here. <clears throat> you know, I'm not a Californian. Tyler's an Ojai guy, so he's a Southern Cal guy, so he knows this area. I, uh, are you saying that the shoreline of Santa Monica Bay and the very famous Santa Monica Beach and Venice Beach and these others are artificial create. What is this, Hollywood? Are we creating beaches? This was not a naturally wide sand beach back in the day. This iconic feature of Southern California is actually a man-made feature. Is that, a, am, I, am I hearing that right? I, so, I mean, there was a beach there for sure, uh, but we <laughs> significantly added to that beach and once the breakwater went in off of the santa monica pier that essentially functions uh, as a as a headland or a prominence and then the sand wants to accumulate yet again in behind it got it um and uh if you look at the coastline you know it sounded like you guys were playing around with some satellite views. yeah no we're on google earth see that, of course, you can see you know that we are contour and that bump there um, yeah. which would be expected um, what I what I think is really fun is what is what is 30 million cubic yards look like? Um, so I was playing, you know, like Minecraft in my head with three foot by three foot by three foot cubes. And if I stack those 10 tall, I could start building a wall here that would actually extend to about Mobile, Alabama. Wow. Damn. That's, that's a lot of material. That's a long way. Material. That's um, yeah. So that's about the story um, of, of what we're looking at with uh, how that conformed. As for Marina del Rey and even before that, you know, Venice and those canals, uh, that was a large component of the Biona Wetlands complex. Uh, and for people familiar with the region, you know, I landed LAX um, and I, I turn around and I go north and then I drive along and then I drive down the bluffs. Right. And once I drive down the bluffs, I'm down in what, were the either foothills or upland transitional habitats to this wetland complex. And then I don't go up the hill again till I get to Santa Monica. Hmm. So the entirety of Venice, large portions of what are now Venice, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Culver City, um, all the way wrapping all the way around the Baldwin Hills was all part of this freshwater, saltwater uh, wetland complex um, that was massively transformed. Wow. And you know, what makes us stand out amongst other estuaries um, in California and specifically Southern California is the loss of our coastal wetlands. Uh, in California, it's roughly 95 percent 
loss um, over this past hundred years of you know folks moving to this coast and urbanization. Uh, and in LA County, we've lost uh, greater than ninety-seven percent. Um, so it's not the category that you want to be number one in, um, but that's uh, that's that's one of our hallmarks. Can Can you talk a little bit more about the estuary? I mean, when again looking at it. I, when I think of an estuary, I think of, you know, just like the quintessential estuary. I think of maybe like uh, the Chesapeake Bay or... Rated uh, streams, lots of salt marsh. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. River Delta type River, of environment. Yeah. And I mean, I think this, it might be because of the modifications that, that we were just, that you were just talking about, Tom. But where, what, what was the hydrology and what is the hydrology of the Santa Monica Bay that makes it an estuary environment? Yeah, so it, it's an estuarine environment uh, because of the confluence of freshwater uh, and saltwater, which, you know, often does, you know, correspond with the, that sort of quintessential salt marsh landscape. Um, but depending upon the profile of the, of the geology or the geography at the time, you know, that greatly affects uh, the expanse of that. We've certainly encroached on this, uh, uh, you know, at a, at a rate like I expressed, you know, like we've got only yeah. very few pieces of this left. Right. Um, so, you know, the it wasn't that long ago. We, we all, have, all we have to do is look back into the yeah. into the 1800s. And we had, you know, an L.A. river that was a sinuous uh, river reminiscent of what you would expect across a broad, shallow sloping coastal plain. Um, Biona Creek was a far more prominent feature. Much of it is now in culverts or, you know, and, and underneath the street, but flowing underneath the street every day, um, just out of sight and out of mind. Uh, and at times, both the LA River and Biona Creek um, would would join. And the actual, the actual wow. delta um, of the LA river was, you know, conjoined with Biona Creek and, you know, that, that large wetland complex I was talking about, you know, had to respond to those fluxes of sediment and mm-hmm. water, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. et cetera. So, the, you know, really, really tremendous amount of change. Uh, and I think, you know, it was something that Peter had talked about that I don't think I addressed in his last question was, you know, what do we do with that information? Um, you know, how do we manage this? And it's not like I'm going to sit down and say, okay, you know what? We'd love to put it back to what it was um, in, in 1852. So if everybody could just kindly grab their stuff and leave, uh, then we'll, you know, <laughs> convert this back. That's right. We're going to wave so, a wand. We're going yeah. back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. We wish. I, I wish, too. Yeah, I'm a we, sentimentalist. Sure. I mean, I wish I could... You know, maybe we could do a virtual reality. Just go back. Maybe could we get you Zuckerberg could do it on the on hollow that? deck of the Star Trek <laughs> Enterprise? But you can't do it in real right. life. But the, and and I'm I'm completely with you with you gentlemen, right? I you know sit there at night just looking at the ceiling, like you know filling in this you know this landscape in my mind. Um, but you know why not? Why not go back further? Why not go back yeah. twelve thousand years? Why right. not go back fifty thousand years? Yeah, if we're gonna pretend um, and you know enjoy enjoy that, but I think. Um, you know, forward looking and taking care of, you know, th- these people taking care of this place. Um, it is about what do we have that are opportunities and building blocks that we can work with? All right. What do we know that are our problems now um, that we have some potential solutions for exercising those solutions so that we can preserve 
um, and increase the sustainability of this coast. Right. And you know, I think that's where most of us are. Well, are it's where you have to be if you're a rational person. Uh, as the CEO of the Santa Monica Bay Restoration Foundation, the Bay Foundation, and the director of the NEP, you got to play the cards you got. And uh, I got to think, you know, it, it, as much I think, Tyler, what we're struggling with is, man, you just look at this shoreline. And it is so densely, you know, you think, what is the possible environmental balance that could exist on the Santa Monica Bay shoreline, given the fact that it is just plastered with us? I don't mean, and I'm not blaming anybody, with us. We love this place. Um, and Tom, I've got to think you've got to be able to step through that understanding and move into what can, where is the natural value of Santa Monica Bay? What are the issues? What can we do better? Take us into that universe of, yeah, okay, it's 2022. We know we've built the hell out of this damn shoreline. <laughs> we know yeah. there's, there isn't a damn river yeah. left. There isn't a wetland sprig, but God damn it, there's something good about it. What, yeah. Where are you? What can you go for? How can you go for it? Yeah. So, and, and then with that, I think, you know, I'd like the way you phrase that, right? You know, what, what, what's out there that you can work with. Um, yeah. And, you know, right now, you know, those beaches are still hanging in there. Uh, and we've got some that we know are in, are in far more jeopardy um, than others based upon their exposure to the ocean, um, what's behind them, um, either naturally or from public or private infrastructure that's likely to increase the rate of erosion um, from those beaches. So then we've got to look into, you know, kind of like, it's a, it's triage, you know, like, all right, great. You know what? Those wider beaches that dominate the North Bay down through uh, the South Bay, you know, we can take some of that landscape back, um, populate it with endemic species of plants that are adapted to grow on our beaches that trap and accumulate windblown sand. And in a few places where we've gone through uh, this approach, uh, we've accumulated, you know, nearly a meter of beach over the course of you know four years um and it was cheap compared to building seawalls and it added vegetation and it provided habitat for wildlife and it provided new recreational and educational opportunities for people like a lot of angelinos are sitting there going i didn't know that plants and flowers hmm. were part of the beach and so we're starting to bring that that picture to folks uh, and i love uh, that I love that, Tom. That is so freaking good. Because I rem I grew up in Southern California, and I mean, when I thought of this stretch of beach, I, it, nothing about it was natural. I mean, it, it was like, it was it was miles of sand and sunshine and blankets and people and like styrofoam cups and, and sidewalks and... Um, and that was, the, and by the way, and you know, that was good. I don't want to deny it. Like that, that like muscle beach, the, the like, you know, rollerblading down the boardwalk, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not denying that that's not cool and right. had its, had its place, but it, 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 it was not, um, reminiscent. It didn't invite the users who were still going, of course, to the beach, to think about the place as a natural ecosystem feature. And so I just, I love, I love that that is a priority. Yeah, no, I, same here. And it's gotten such terrific warm reception from people. Uh, and at the same time, you know, this is the balance, right? Like 
yeah, I want people to play beach volleyball. I love the bike path. Uh, you know, yeah, there is room for that there. Um, but we also need to give back some space um, so that we can put back the connectivity that we need um, for the for the plants, for the wildlife, um, protect this coastline by increasing its vertical profile. Um, and right now there's ample opportunity to get that done. Um, it's going to take, you know, some significant investment, but compared to some of the money that flies around, yeah. I don't think that grand, uh, you know, I think we're talking something on the order of, you know, 50 to 80 million bucks and the, we count, the cost of a half uh, of a half-assed hollywood movie it's nothing <laughs> you know i mean a really good hollywood blockbuster costs about 250 million dollars i mean we're talking about 50 million dollars it's nothing in la come on yeah no i hear you <laughs> like how many 10 million dollar homes do i have to protect right um, for with that type of natural well, I, you mentioned resources and and uh, you know the bipartisan infrastructure act passed uh, in November of last year, a major investment uh, in in America and the Infra in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act title that we've been talking a lot about, billions yeah. of dollars in climate change revenues and NEP funding, National Estuary Program investment, Tom. Um, it sounds like this is the golden age, really, for NEP directors in the U.S. I think this has got to be the single biggest investment uh, injection of federal revenue into the NEP program. you got to be pretty excited with you and your team and your board. Um, talk to us about what you think you're going to be able to do with the investments that have been put on the table uh, at, by the federal government in the last six months. Yeah, no, and you're correct. It's a huge catalyst for us um and you know it was one of those you know wake me up and pinch me again i can't believe this just yeah. happened yeah um and uh you know for us because we hadn't you know we because we've been here because we've been doing our work we've got our priorities um you know we quickly pulled together eight projects um that you know we're going to benefit this place and and these communities uh so we're going to invest and continue to restore uh kelp forests off the coast of palos verdes uh, we're going to continue to invest in restoring and recovering from in, from extinction uh, a couple species of abalone, which are a key component uh, of those rocky reef kelp forest systems. Uh, we've got uh, money pointing towards an additional suite of sand dunes we'd love to create uh, off of Venice, Marina del Rey, maybe Playa del Rey right there in the center of, of the works. Um, we're looking at a very novel approach to make the most out of the Santa Monica Pier breakwater, where we would enhance that breakwater with new material, create a functioning rocky intertidal landscape. Um, those are some of our most imperiled um, organisms on our coast in that rocky intertidal. Uh, we're looking to fund a group called the Black Surfers Collective. We've done an unbelievable job um, capturing and motivating and bringing uh, BIPOC community folks to the beach, um, making that connection um, stronger uh, for those community members. Uh, and then we're looking at uh, a couple studies uh, to help us uh, come up with a training program for professionals who work on the beach so that they can identify problems, so that they can manage sand dunes and things like that landscape smartly, 
Um, and then we're also looking at uh, using cell phone data to help us understand who's actually coming to our beaches, how long they're spending their time there, um, and understand where they came from, and looking at pinch points for access, uh, resources that might be needed. Hey, you know, more restrooms, uh, better sanitation uh, r- regarding the how these folks populate these spaces, which we don't have a handle on. And then lastly, um, we're also looking at um, some really pronounced erosion right now occurring at the Adamson House, uh, which is at the mouth of Malibu Creek next to Malibu Lagoon, one of our remnant functioning uh, estuaries and uh, bringing in cobbles to shore up that space and using uh, downed trees um, to create more of a natural profile, dissipate wave energy and protect those coastal assets, um, including remnants of the uh, ancient uh, Chumash village uh, that was located on that site before the Adamson family showed up. So that's exactly what we're shooting at. Um, And we're in the midst of of finalizing those proposals as we speak. So I appreciate you asking the question. Well, those there's a lot there and I'm just, I wrote them down and I'm trying to categorize them and how to go through them. But uh, the first category I'll start with is out in the Bay. uh, You have the kelp forest uh, and abalone stuff. Uh, I, I imagine introducing abalone I, I i imagine but could you could you talk about what uh why those are priority projects and the importance of of kelp for the bay surely um so the uh you know in our action planet we developed with all the local interests and local involvement um and because of the biodiversity and the production associated with kelp forests and the rocky reefs that they grow from um, you know, we knew that these were a priority for commercial and sport fishermen, um, scuba diving, you name it. Um, if you've got kelp out there and you're surfing inside the kelp, the kelp dampens the waves and you get glassier conditions, you know, longer or throughout the day. Um, kelp also does a wonderful job of breaking off, washing up on our shorelines and either feeding animals in the rocky intertidal or washing up on the beach and then being buried by sand and becoming the nutrient source for these plants that we're trying to culture. Um, Without kelp off the coast of California, it's like the Amazon without trees. It just doesn't work anymore. Um, And we were able to track that we lost 80% of it, uh, largely uh, since post-World War II, um, pronounced losses in the 50s. Um, And we knew enough about what was wrong to fix it and put it back. Well, Um, what, what did it? Uh, it was a combination of uh, poor water quality, pollution, and incomplete treatment of sewage outfalls, historic overfishing. Um, you know, people think of sea yeah. otters. I think they immediately go to Monterey Bay. Um, this was very much uh, part of their range. And once we lost that predator in that system, um, sea urchins in particular, right. uh, were allowed to reproduce and survive and overwhelm these systems. Uh, so that was a key priority for us to get that back. Um, and we've been able to do that time and time again. Uh, one of the biggest, most successful projects of its kind on the planet. Um, the abalone tie in there um, as as an herbivore um, that was you know sought after for their meat, um, for their, the beauty that is in their shells um, and, and a big disease outbreak took, you know, the pressures we were putting on those snails and then almost put them to the breaking point. 
Um, so now we're reintroducing um, those snails to this restored, rejuvenated coastline. Uh, and once they get established in there, they'll help maintain the balance in that ecosystem as competitors um, with urchins and other organisms. Um, lots to learn. Every step we take, our monitoring right behind us, helping us inform. It's um, just you know, so cool. I it's love been, big challenge. Yeah, oh, I just been, love the ecosystem. These yeah. snails and just there's just some cool shit that grows. Oh, yeah. There. <laughs> the kelp forests, you know, one of the great productive yeah. environments I on agree. the planet. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I've, I put together Coastal News today, met most of the week with my good friend Bill O'Byrne and Tyler. We all peruse the Coastal News and put out this ep, this issue every day in addition to our podcast mm -hmm. network. And I'm, I've been reading a lot over the last year about coastal water quality issues around the world, not just in the United States and certainly not just on the West Coast. But we are starting to see the emergence of persistent problems of harmful algal blooms, whether it's in the Great Lakes or along the Florida coastline or across Texas. Up, you know, It's everywhere. It's all around the world. And it's because we are damn good at growing uh, uh, blue-green algae. We are, we are the best farmers for promoting the growth of, of harmful algal populations in coastal waters as human beings because we're constantly dumping incredible amounts of nutrients into the water which these critters need to grow and uh, it either happens in in florida it's all based on septic symptoms it's like 75 percent of the of residential dwellings in florida are on septic which means they're dumping nutrients into a very high water table and into nearshore water it's a disaster that DeSantis isn't taking seriously. And in California, it's incomplete sewage treatment and the density of the population on Santa Monica Bay. I'm, I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking, I'm asking you, in the middle of the night when you're wondering, like, what the hell is going to be the future of Santa Monica Bay? I mean, how do we get a handle on nearshore water quality, given the incredible stresses we're putting on these bay systems around the world and not just on the American shoreline, but in this one in particular? It's got to be frightening. Yeah, it's. I think a bunch of it's frightening, and sometimes, you know, if I if I wanted to have a respite, I'd love to not know what I know. <laughs> um, but but uh, you know, I, the, the crises or the problems, you know, are the opportunities are, you know, are equivalent. Uh, and so in this case, you know, what you're what you see in our issues with our water supply here in Southern California from a permanent drought standpoint, right. uh, shifts in precipitation, that we are seeing unbelievable activity, uh, both with the, the city of Los Angeles and the county of Los Angeles to manage their two major sewage treatment plants and moving those plants to 100% recycled water. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, maybe within you know, 15 years, if not sooner, um, investments on the scale of you know, six, plus billion dollars. We should. Plus. We, we got to write those checks. We've got to do that stuff. We are dumping too much crap into the sea and it's screwing it up. And these are amazing places. And we're trying to draw that balance. Tom, do you find when you go knock on the door of the political folks and the decision makers who have to look at these kinds of costs, are, are they receptive? Do they understand? Do they get it that at some point down the line, we're going to have to pay for this stuff and we're going to make it work? 
or are you still finding folks who are like, well, you know, it looks pretty good to me. I'm happy with what we got going on. What are you finding out? Yeah, I mean, there's a little there's a little nuance in this, but my you know, but my generic statement was that most of the folks that I speak with acknowledge that these problems are out there. Um, most of them are leaning in to figure out how to move investments into that space. I think we're seeing some, you know, good exercise of of funding from the state level um, down to this coastline, which will help us improve these water quality issues, increase the clarity of the bay, reduce the likelihood and the intensity and the impacts of harmful algal blooms off our coast. And, uh, you know, we're, I've never seen this level of cooperation, um, this level of interest and this availability of investment uh, in this. Uh, so I'm actually feeling pretty good about it. Um, I just know that, you know, there's there will be a lag um, with the responses in these systems to these changes. Um, and that can sometimes be a letdown for folks like, hang on a second. We just spent all that money to clean that up. Why isn't it better? Right. I was like, yeah, yeah. well, you know, the nutrients kind of take a little while to work themselves through some of these uh, areas and through these sediments. Um, we'll, 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 we'll see how this comes through, but I think it's going to be a really bright day. Well, the good news is, I, I, I'm with you, Tom. Well said. I agree with you. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, the, the, I, I've, I see it optimistically that this is all opportunity. Uh, these are all the way that we manage the nutrient load in water and just dumping it there. That's, we, we were externalizing that, with, you know, in the same way that we right. run our, our combustion engines and are externalizing the carbon and all of that business. And, that's what's changing. And I actually, I think that in like, in developing the technologies and the techniques to do it differently and do it better, not only will uh, the Bay benefit, but all of Southern California will benefit. But one thing, Tom, that I, I do have to ask about is with regard to water, you know, it's, it's an estuary after all. And p- part of that is the, the upland flow which is lacking, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, in Southern California. Uh, the, there's a historic drought, uh, and I know that uh, Lake Mead continues to drop, and the governor of California recently came out with a water strategy that was fairly comprehensive, and I'm, I don't feel comfortable going through it myself, but one of the things it included was the idea of desalination. Uh, I know that recently there was a, a, a kind of a well-followed here on Coastal News Today uh, story of the Poseidon plant down in Huntington Beach. Uh, it was not permitted uh, by the Coastal Commission in California. Um, but presumably with the governor's plan, there will be other desalination proposals on the table. And these could impact uh, bay systems like the Santa Monica Bay. What what? How are you preparing for that? And what are your thoughts on, on desalination entering the landscape? Yeah, no, it's, I, I get it, right? You're looking, you're like, wow, we're running out of water. And then you're standing there looking at an almost unimaginable volume of it at your feet when you're standing on our beaches. Right. Uh, you know, it's, ex- it is extremely expensive um, to process seawater um, into a freshwater product that would meet drinking water standards. Uh, and that is, you know, something that engineering 
um, keeps making stepwise progress on. Uh, you know, the pressures required, the chemical pathways that we would use to treat the water um, continue to be refined. Um, and so the cost per unit of water, you know, externalizing energy and a few other pieces, you know, is, is coming down. Um, I, the interesting thing is that you would use those same technologies to clean up any other water source um, that was polluted hmm. um, and would have the same impact. So we've got, you know, a lot of coastal aquifers um, or inland aquifers that have been contaminated for one reason or another. We could apply those same technologies um, on those aquifers and basically suck that water up clean it, purify it, put it back down again, and keep going through that cycle. And we could avoid the, the, the tremendous volume of salt that we have to isolate right. in a desalination type process. And what do you do with this mountain of salt that you're now right. accumulating? Yeah. You got to put that back into the ocean again. Um, so it's, just, you know, it's complicated yeah. um, to be sure. Um, I think that the recycling of our wastewater streams is basically that's desalination of our wastewater and handling the other loads that it carries. Um, but it will be more affordable than doing it straight from the beach. So first things first, get yeah. the wastewater, treat and it, recycle it. That's why, that, that, that's why we did. That is the best yeah. thing. I'm so glad we, we talked to you, Tom, and had a chance to think that through. It's a big issue. I've been sort of on the fence about what I thought about the coastal California uh, commission's decision on that, uh, desal plant, given the stress on on water sources in Southern Cal, uh, but what you're saying is the technology works equally well on groundwater, freshwater, re or reuse of of stormwater or wastewater. And uh, damn, that's right. I think it would. I mean, I'm I'm not making some grand declaration, but that's why we like doing talking to smart people is because that is a perspective I haven't heard, Tyler. And I do want to just. Um clarify that my understanding is that the governor's plan is heavy on exactly that type of uh, theory, which is to really invest in uh, stormwater capture. And, and a lot of that involves pumping stormwater down into, hmm. uh, I think, groundwater aquifers, storage aquifers. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I imagine then, you know, we're then faced with the purification uh, problems. But you're right, Tom, it is. It's similar. Uh, it's a similar process, but we don't have to deal with all the salt, which right. is, you know, really a challenge when you're dealing with desalination. And of course, everyone knows that the expense is there. But what I always uh, come back to on this issue is that there are, I don't know how many, 20 million people that live in the Los Angeles basin region. And uh, they answers need to be delivered, basically. Um, the government needs to show a capacity to manage this problem. And I have to say, as a, as a Southern Californian myself, I've been fairly disappointed hmm. with the leaders in the state and, you know, specifically in Ventura, California, Ventura County, California, uh, with, you know, being proactive. We have watched... Uh, the water crisis become worse and worse and worse and worse. And we're like still praying for rain. And it just like, it drives me nuts. 
It really does. Like, let's do something. I'm, I, I'm, I'm ready to tear the streets up and go permeable. Let's just permeate. <laughs> you know, let's, let's. I, I'm anything, but can we take action so that the people? The, my concern is that the people need to see action being taken. They, there needs to be a vision for how we are addressing the problem. Yeah, um, I, I completely understand exactly what you're saying, um, and you know the communications piece about this how to make this a priority and part of people's daily lives is an enormous challenge. And, you know, usually what you get, well, you get to get a guy like me, um, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist. I've got an ecological background, you know, I nerd out on these things. Uh, and then you want to put me in front yeah. of, you yeah. know, a communication strategy to try to, you know, how do I put people, you know, daily water use on people's maps and make them understand that right. these investments right. in infrastructure um, lead to a more sustainable water future. And I wish it was simpler. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wish, you know, we could turn it into a jingle. Um, and it's really, <laughs> it's just proves to be very hard to do so. Um, I yeah. think that some of the strategies that Ventura County is using, that LA County is increasingly using is that we're realizing that people need other infrastructure so that we can utilize associated with water capture and replenishment, putting in green space, putting in parks. Uh, we have to redo many of the roads and streets and sidewalks because it's all 70 years old. And by doing this using permeable methods, other low impact development methods, we can turn the sponge back on and start soaking up this water and getting it into the ground. And the aquifers are so beneficial because they do purify the water through natural processes and you don't evaporate it while it's down there. Right. Um, right. So, uh, and they don't take up any landscape because it's happening under your feet. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really win, 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 yeah. win, win in that regard. The, you know, the portions of the opportunity are apparent. Um, execution is much more difficult. Uh, Tyler and I had last December, Tyler, you remember we had on the show a uh, Violet Sage Walker, who's the chairwoman right. of the Northern Chumash Tribal Council, and her and her father nominators of the proposed Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary in your neighborhood, uh, Tom. Yep. And uh, it's been about a year, I guess, since the nomination has occurred. There's a whole lot of work to do to create a national marine sanctuary. But um, could you give us a little bit of an update and how the community is responding to the proposal? What's your prognosis? Uh, what are you seeing on on the, the Shumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary proposal that's pending before NOAA right now? Yeah, no, this is where I'm, I think I'm going to end up leaving you hanging because um, I haven't been following that one. Uh, very closely. Uh, but I think what you look at as a trend along this, the coastline of the state of California is the continued expansion of these national marine sanctuaries. Uh, the Sanctuary Act, you know, helps promote fishing, um, puts strict limits on offshore oil uh, exploration, um, has, you know, some relationship with, you know, offshore mineral management, um, ocean mining, uh, essentially. Uh, and I think it seems to be a really smart way to take what are available uh, national, federal resources, putting them at play on this landscape um, as, you know, offshore, you know, energy generation yeah. uh, with wind farms has tremendous potential. Um, 
it, you know, all the siting issues are there, competing uses, you know, Chumash um, folks with 12,000 years on this coastline or guys like me who showed up in 1998, you know, love that ocean, are connected to that ocean. And sometimes we love it for different reasons or for different outputs. Yeah. And putting those management conferences into place, creating that that space where all of us can come together, talk about what we're trying to cause to happen, um, to honor the past and prepare for a future, uh, I think is inherent um, in something like the Chumash National Marine yeah. uh, Sanctuary. I uh, love so I love what you had to say there. All, all kudos to them. Um, you know, anything I can do to help them out, I'd be happy to do so. And um, well, it's it's a pleasure, Tom, to talk to you because I think what you clearly, deeply understand professionally, you've committed your life to this and the role that you have selected. Um, at the Bay Foundation and at the Santa Monica Bay uh, NEP, National Estuary Program, uh, there is no other place on the planet where the, where the juxtaposition of, of competing interests is so clear than on the, on the ocean land interface, in my opinion. It's one of the reasons Tyler and I started Coastal News today and what we've really been trying to focus on on the American Shoreline Podcast Network is the, every decision is a trade-off. There are lots of reasons we love the coast, and we, we as human beings and, and Americans demand a lot of our shorelines, and we want it to do everything we want. We want it to be biologically productive. We want it to be a great beach to surf. We want it to be a great place to, you know, to produce energy. We want it to be a fishery. We want it to be everything at the same time, a transportation corridor. I mean, we ask a lot of the American shoreline, and it's people like you who work every day to to understand and balance and attempt to reconcile those interests and those pressures that we admire uh, on this network. And uh, we really uh, thank you for sharing your insights with us. I'm going to give you the final word. Oh, I the final word after the. What an excellent, excellent summary that was, Peter. Um, it was a pleasure being on with you, gentlemen. Thank you for your efforts and your interest in this in this landscape. Um, there's, you know, from sea to shining sea, um, kind of can ring true in my romantic heart at yeah. times. Yeah. And uh, it has been not just um, you know a pleasure, but certainly uh, fulfilling a long-standing passion of mine as a as a person um, to try to you know heal those old wounds, um, create hope, um, inspire change and see that manifest on this scale. Um, so, uh, thank you for bringing as many people together as you do with your efforts, um, to share in that legacy. Thanks a lot, Tom. We're going to see you at a, are you going to ASBPA? I will see you there. Oh, good looking. I can't wait to see you. Uh, can't wait to meet you in person. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tom Ford. He is the CEO of the Santa Monica Bay Restoration Foundation, also known locally as the Bay Foundation. He is the director of the Santa Monica Bay National Estuary Program, co-executive director of the Coastal Research Institute at Loyola Marymount University. Uh, One of the great coastal professionals on the American Shoreline, Tom Ford, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Winds gonna blow to Wambo 